Good morning, church. Great to see you all. Welcome to Union Chapel this morning. So glad you're here. And if you've joined us online, welcome to you as well. We're thrilled that you are with us. There's a good spirit in the house today. Don't you agree? Good worship today. I'm so glad you're here and experiencing God's presence and the fellowship of his people. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. It ennobles us. It lifts us up. It makes us better people to be in God's presence and with his people. So congratulations for being here. Very important. We've been talking about our mission here at Union Chapel. On the seats near you, you'll see a faith promise card. This is the second bucket that we use every year. And out of this second bucket of faith promise, we fund all of our local and extra local missions. And today we're going to be receiving those cards, or uh, you can do it online, of course. And so that is our theme today, and I hope it will be meaningful to you, perhaps even inspiring, as we talk about our mission focus Our text this morning is from a very strategic series of scriptures from Romans chapter 15. This is the Apostle Paul rehearsing with us his intentions in Christian ministry, and it should reflect our intentions as well. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 15. If not, we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to recognize the loving authority of God's word in our lives. So this is the word of God for the people of God, beginning at verse 17. Paul writes, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now, verse 20, note the strategic nature of this statement. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And may God inspire and instruct us today through his word. Thanks so much. You may be seated. If uh, we were just meeting in a room privately, just the two of us uh, this morning, and I looked at you and said, can you uh, tell me your mission in life? Could you uh, respond to that request? What is your mission in life? Why are you here? Now, if if you're rehearsing some things that come very easily to you and and you've thought it through and you prayed it through, that's good. Because everyone should have an idea what your purpose in life. We must have purpose. In fact, I think this is the only way that you can really sustain your life in a healthy, productive way from start to finish is by understanding your purpose, your mission. Uh, To say it another way, uh, you sustain your life over time by carrying a meaningful burden on behalf of others. You know who you are. You know who made you who you are. You know why you're here. And you live out that mission and purpose. So here's my pushback. Here's my challenge to you. Here's some homework for you. If you don't have a personal understanding of your mission or your purpose, think about that. Pray about that. And try to jot it down. Work on writing it down, you know, like 30 words or less. And and embrace that as God's destiny for your life. Now, today, I'm I'm not talking about your purpose. I'm not talking about uh, uh, someone else's mission. Today, I want to talk about Union Chapel and our mission. And today I want to just just talk about mission focus. This is who we are and this is what we do. 
Now, in order to get some context for this, let me share some demographics with you. Demographics are just a study of hum, human movement, human generations, uh, a study of people and their tendencies, how they group up, what their worldview is. And so demographics are, are a study in science. And demographics don't lie. They are what they are. I mean, the science tells us what's happening among the peoples of the world through demographics. And, and so it takes some courage sometimes to hear it or to believe it. And so let me just, again, give context. Demographics, if we'll listen to them, will inform us in our Christian mission. For example, if China has 90 million believers, and approximately that's true, but the vast majority of those believers are under 30 years of age, and the United States has approximately 90 million evangelicals, people who still uh, contend that they believe the Bible to be true, 90 million evangelicals, and the majority of those are over 50, then there's a demographic story that we're not hearing every day. There's a story there that we need to unpack uh, as we're looking at the raw statistics of the Christian world. For example, North America, you've heard me mention this, is the fastest emerging mission field in the world. Many churches in our culture here in North America have either lost connection with a dynamic apostolic orthodoxy. In other words, they've lost touch with the orthodoxy of the faith once delivered to the saints. Uh, churches now no longer believing the basic doctrines of the apostolic Christian faith, no longer practicing or promoting the lifestyles that are in keeping with traditional values of scripture and history. And so we have that. And on the other side of it, we also have Christian churches who still believe the Bible true, still love Jesus, still have an idea about that, but they've lost a clear strategy for how to engage the world in a missional way. And the reason for that is obvious to me, and it's because the world is hard. The world is complicated. The world is, is, is really confused right now. And you have these, these diversities of opinions and these incredible generational divides and political differences and the complexity of socioeconomic realities and all of that blends together to just create this, this mosaic of things that it's hard to you know, target something as a missional strategy. So you can understand why churches might be a bit confused right now. Consider also that the younger, listen to this now, the younger the Anglo or white demographic in the United States, the more likely one will question the knowability of truth. So if you are of European descent, Anglo, and you are young in our culture, you have grown up now in a, in a society that has left you confused about the knowability of truth. Now, I got challenged about this after the first service, so let me just clarify. I'm, this demographic reality, I'm talking about primarily Anglo young people in the emergent cultures, young millennials, Gen Z, the alphas now being born and emerging in the world. I'm talking primarily about this demographic follows an Anglo or a white-skinned European descent model. This is not to exclude uh, people of African descent or Asian descent or Hispanic descent, descent none of that. It's just not, simple, not as true for young people in our culture who have black skin or brown skin or some tone. 
It's just not as true for them. So I'm talking primarily from this demographic about people of Anglo descent. The, the reality of emerging cultures of primarily white-skinned young people right now, and again, it's, it's, this is, it's just the science. This is not a biased statement at all for any reason. This means likely that these young people reject anything that may be described as divine or objective revelation. Nothing is absolutely true. So the, the loss of confidence in human reason has become almost palpable. Where in the past you would hear someone say, well, this is, this is the language I use. I think this is true. Has moved from I feel that's true to now emerging cultures are saying whatever might be true. The younger the white demographic in the United States, the more likely you are to discover a distrust of authority, a distrust of institutions, and indeed of all hierarchies. Now, now this includes a deep distrust in government, in churches, in church structures, in pastors. It also includes a rejection of any kind of metaphysical or spiritual hierarchy. In other words, God is in question, and any kind of order or structure that God has ordained in the world, those are also in question in the minds of this emerging culture. The younger the person is, especially if they're white, and again, <laughs> this is just the, the science, the more likely one will find a growing skepticism about the reliability and the trustworthiness of historical narratives. Young people, as they're being raised in the culture in which we have, believe that history is hopelessly mired in flawed, biased, agenda-pushing perspectives, which cloud any possibility of objectivity. There's no way to know for sure what happened in history. Everyone who's talking about history now has their agenda. They can't be trusted. The older you are in the room or in the, in the audience today or within the sound of my voice, the more confusing this will be to you. Because the older you are, your worldview is completely different than emerging young people. For these young people, therefore, all historical accounts, whether it's the iconic account of George Washington crossing the Delaware River, or whether or not St. Luke actually wrote the gospel of Luke, now lays beneath this layer of skepticism, historical cynicism. Now, on top of all of this, we shouldn't forget that there is a gnawing loss of confidence in the inevitability of human progress. This is the first time in recent history on the planet that this is true. Uh, the generation now in their 20s and their early 30s is the first in the modern period not to end their careers better off than their parents. This isn't speculation. Uh, this is based in pretty solid numbers. They will have less purchasing power, less post-retirement security, and listen to this, a shorter life expectancy. Some are projecting as short as five years younger than their parents. That's the first time in the modern era that's ever been true. So this is, this is a backward shift in, in the culture. If you're under 35 years old, you will almost surely live to see the day when the most Christian countries in the world will be China and India. 
Think about that. Whereas you will also almost inevitably live, if you're 35 years old or younger, you will live long enough to find it difficult to find any Christians living in the Pacific Northwest in the United States. By 2050, the United States will probably have 329 million Christians, more than any country on earth, by the way, but the demographic of that Christian will be increasingly Hispanic, Korean, Chinese, or of India descent. Amazing. And far less white Anglos of European descent. I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just saying this is, this is yeah, you got to be brave enough to lean into it. These demographic facts, for many of us, especially if you're white Anglo, are hard to swallow. It's much easier to turn up the volume on the, on the latest Christian podcast or to recognize the hundreds of cars in a large church parking lot on Sunday morning or to pick up the latest Christian romance novel, which apparently is becoming more and more popular, rather than soberly facing the fact that we are not passing the faith down to the next generation. And that is the message that I want to convey to you today. The big story in all these different graphics is that we are not successfully passing to the next generation a meaningful faith. What should we do? How should we respond? That's the question today, what I hope to answer. What should be our mission focus in a day and a time and a generational reality like we have? Here are three things that Union Chapel is doing and will continue to do. Three things in response. What is our mission focus? Again, this sermon is about us. What are we doing together? Here's the first thing. We are going to plant churches. How do you respond to this? You plant churches. Planting churches is the single most effective way to reach people who are outside of a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no close second strategy for helping people far from God find a meaningful connection with Jesus Christ. The single best, without a close second, way to reach people far from God is planting new churches. Our vision at Union Chapel is to plant partner and network to see life-giving, reproducing local churches established in North America and other parts of the world. That's what we do. That's what we're going to do. That's our mission. And we're staying focused on that. Let me show you on the screen a list. These are the current churches that we have relationship with. We've either planted these churches, we're partnering with these churches, we've networked with these leaders. All of these are churches that we have a financial investment in, some hundreds of thousands of dollars, others less. But all of these have been funded in part by Union Chapel. There are a number of other churches that we have not funded that we won't mention today. These are just the ones that we have a skin in the game with, okay? And here's the first one. It's Rising Hope. Rising Hope is a church right here in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, Six or seven years ago, I stood up here and I said, God has called us to plant 10 churches in the next 10 years. I I didn't think that was from God. I just thought it was a a nice memory peg. Yeah, we're going to plant 10 churches in 10 years. It was was a nice goal. Well, we've exceeded that already. So the 10 and 10 thing was just talking point. But the day that I mentioned that, Mike and Kim Hewitt, who are West, from the Wesleyan denomination, were sent here by their denomination from Michigan to plant a church in Muncie because their 
The, the Wesleyan churches in the area were struggling. We want to have a healthy local Wesleyan church. And so Kim and Mike stumbled into our service that day, introduced themselves afterwards, hey, we're here to plant a church. Well, so we, we got acquainted with them. We have three touch points when we partner with someone in church planning. Number one, we want to have a relationship with you. We want to have enough friendship with you that we trust you. Number two, we want to share vision and values. Are our motives in, in common? Are we shooting for the same things? And number three, are there projects that we engage together we both feel strongly about? Planning a church is something we feel strongly about. So they qualified in that pattern, and we ha have helped Rising Hope. It's been five years now, and they're doing a great job and have planted a church successfully here in Muncie, Indiana, and we're still assisting them, and, and they're doing fantastic work. Next, this is Pathway Church. This is Marietta, Ohio. This is Ryan Miller and his wife, Jana. Uh, Pathway Church is, is about uh, five years old now. They're doing fantastic. Uh, we have officially become grandparents as a church. Remember, our vision is to plant life-giving, reproducing local churches. And Pathway Church has, has re reproduced twice. They have a satellite congregation 30, 30 minutes away from Marriott, Ohio, and they have also just signed an MOU, a Memo of Understanding, with a new friend of ours, Tim Kraft, who is a recovering heroin addict who has a passion to reach people who are coming out of recovery. And he has just started a church across the river from Marriott, Ohio, in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And a new church has been birthed out of Pathway Church and is our grandchild church, reaching heroin addicts for Jesus' sake. Isn't that great? Fantastic. Ryan is a star. We're so proud of him. Next, Golfside Church. This is in Cape Coral, Florida. Paul Erminger and Tia. Paul was on our staff here with our youth team for a number of years, and we sent them to, to Cape Coral about four years ago now, and they have successfully planted Golfside Church. Uh, I've shared with you briefly that they just purchased 15 acres, prime real estate there in Cape Coral. You can imagine a prime piece of real estate in that part of Florida right now is expensive. It goes for about a million and a half, two million dollars for 15 acres. Paul was able to secure this, these 15 acres for about $400,000. There's a miracle story there, and he did that about a year ago. And as of last week, Paul has paid off that property, and, it's, and they're, 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 they're good to go. And, of course, we helped them pay it, pay it off with other friends, and so we're really proud of them. They're doing a great job. Next. This is Clearwater Church. Uh, many of you were here when Randy and Gay served on our team. They were with our staff here for about 10 years. Uh, then we launched them some years ago to Fort Collins, Colorado, where they have successfully planted Clearwater Church. You can see a picture of their facility there. That's a building I've reported to you that was uh, housing another large church in the area that came on hard times and heard God tell them that they were to give their building away to a worthwhile pastor and congregation, and they picked Randy and Gay and, and gave us that building. It's a, it sits on 17 acres in a prime spot in Fort Collins, Colorado. By the way, they sell real estate in Fort Collins, Colorado by the square foot, not by the acre. We think that that 60,000 square foot building 
on 17 acres is worth somewhere between 25 and 30 million dollars. And, and folks just handed it to us. Handed us the deed and handed us the keys. Amazing. That's Clearwater, we're proud of them. That's where we hosted our church planning conference back in August, by the way, beautiful. Next, this is SoCo Church in Bentonville, Arkansas, Brad Hampton and his beautiful family. Brad is a, an emerging star in Christian leadership in our country. Bentonville is the home of Walmart corporate, which means you cannot buy any property in Bentonville. Literally, there are no open buildings. You know, you could, you could put a church in, on virtually every block in Delaware County because there's an open building somewhere, but not in Bentonville. If there's an open building there, Walmart buys it because they need the space, as it turns out. And so this is, this is a, a place of great opportunity, and Brad is a genius, not an, an, an overstatement. He's a genius when it comes to, uh, to digital technology and online resourcing to reach people for Jesus. And so we cross-pollinate. We, we help him, and he coaches our team along these lines, and he coaches our other church planters, and he's phenomenal. He's, he's a star. His church is only about four, four years old, and it's already worshiping over 1,000 people per week. He's amazing. Soco Church. Next. Uh, the fourth, this is in Casper, Wyoming. Uh, Jim Shade and his beautiful family there lead that church. Uh, they don't have a permanent facility, so they've just been had to real nimble through the pandemic and so forth, people getting kicked out of, out of schools and getting kicked out of theaters and that sort of thing where you normally try to plant a church. And they've stayed on their feet, and they've done a great job. We're really proud of them. They met in a parking lot for weeks and weeks last year with big speakers. You know, people would drive up in their car, roll down a window, <laughs> and that's how, how they did church. But they, they kept it going. Amazing. So we've been in partnership with them for a few years now. Next. This is the Point Church. It's a brand-new church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which we are principally responsible for. This is uh, Troy Miller and his beautiful young family there uh, finding a place to meet. Again, one of the great challenges, they found a, a, a person who was very generous with them. But you need to pray. Pray for the point because the building that they, they're meeting in uh, also houses a Jehovah's Witness church. And, <laughs> and, and in the afternoons, spiritualists, palm readers come in to that building and read palms. And do, and do spiritual readings. <laughs> and try, it's not funny. It's hilarious. And Troy, Troy's in there, you know, and he's, so he's got to not just clean up the building physically, but, you know, kind of Lord Jesus, <laughs> whatever residue's still in this place from the last group, please help us. So, but they're doing it. They just launched about six weeks ago, something like that, and off and running. We're, pr we're proud of Troy. Next. This is Move Daytona with, uh, with the Barkles, Kelly and Polly Barkle. Kelly and Polly are the CrossFit trainer folks. And Kelly got into this CrossFit center, beautiful CrossFit center in Daytona, and led the owner of the business to Christ and then asked him, can I plant a church in your CrossFit center? And the guy said, that's a great idea. And so, so what they do now, they've just been doing this for about two months. Uh, they, they, they have an actual workout session on Sunday morning so a bunch of meatheads come in there, muscleheads come in there and pump iron for a while. Some of you are CrossFit 
people, so I hope that's an endearing term, meathead. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just jealous, that's all. So Kelly's been winning all of these meatheads to Jesus, men and women alike, and baptizing them in the surf at Daytona. It's phenomenal. It's just amazing. Kelly had a wasted youth, Kelly Barkle. His youth was wasted. So we're getting him trained now and credentialed so he can go into the prisons with Jay Harvey and Robin Wood as they're training inmates in prison to plant churches. And Kelly is so excited about going into prison. He said, he said, you know, the way I grew up, he said, I know going into the prison is going to feel like a family reunion <laughs> to me. And so he's going to be great in the prison. And he's so, so passionate. And Polly's such a great evangelist as well. So we're proud of them. Next. Uh, as I mentioned, the prison ministry, this is in partnership with Nick Vujicic. Nick is uh, the young man who was born without arms or legs, so his ministry is called Life Without Limbs. He is an incredible um, cre incredible ambassador for Jesus' sake, wherever he goes. And Jay Harvey, of course, works, works for Nick Vujicic in his ministry, Life Without Limbs, and and Jay also works for us in our association of church planters. And we, so we are partnered with Life Without Limbs to train men in prisons, inmates in prison, to plant churches in prisons. And we've already accomplished this now in four prisons in Florida. And the number's just going to, it's just going to keep going. It's an amazing opportunity. Someone should have thought of this sooner. Planting churches in prisons with the inmates. Can you feel that? It's amazing. So Nick is, Nick is uh, really the, the, the point man on all this, Nick Vujicic, and we're conferring with his, uh, with his director this week, and we, we're pretty sure Nick is going to be in Muncie at Union Chapel to talk about these things with us in March next year. And we'll let you know the precise dates so that we can all kind of prepare ourselves for the kind of numbers of people that will be attracted by this event. But he'll be preaching in all of our services that day. And we'll, we're going to try to, you know, get a special event or two scheduled in, on top of that, maybe in the local schools. And anywhere Nick goes, he's, uh, he's an amazing influence. And so we're thrilled to be partnered with him and the work that they're doing in prison ministry. Next. Uh, this is uh, house churches. You should know, if you don't, that there is a movement around the world uh, of churches being planting, planted in homes. Of course, there are some cultures where, the, where, where it's not legal or safe to be a church uh, out in the open. And so this is underground and a little more quiet in those cultures. In the United States, micro churches and house churches are getting traction it's, it's attractive to the emerging generation, and so we are learning as we go. We have friends in Tampa, Florida, and friends in Kansas City, Missouri now who are coaching us and helping us understand. They have uh, micro churches, house churches, small churches, that uh, network that are established in those major cities. We would like to do the same thing in Phoenix. We have friends there through Robin Woods Association years ago when he pastored a church there. And, and phenomenal leaders who are ready to take up some responsibility for small house churches in Phoenix. So we're, we're, that's unfolding as we speak. Next, 
uh, Mountain of Light. This is uh, related to to Ricardo and Perry Pardo. Ricardo was born in Cuba. He had a wasted youth. He was a gangbanger, street kid uh, on the streets of Cuba growing up. And Jesus got a hold of his life. I asked Ricardo to tell me his story one day, and he started telling me what he had been through in his life, and I stopped him because I didn't want to know anymore. I didn't want to know anymore about what he's, what he's been through in his life. And you know, the Bible says, the one who is forgiven much loves much. That boy is on fire for Jesus because he's been forgiven much. He is, he is lit up. Did I mention he's on fire? He is on fire. When he was working in Ecuador and we were funding them and supporting them, he, he and Perry, they're the ones who baptized 700 people in Ecuador in about six months. He is, he is, a, he is an event wait, waiting to lead people to Jesus everywhere he goes. Did I mention he's on fire? He is, he is a flame for Jesus. That guy, he's, he's worked up. And so we have, we have sent him to D- Daytona. Our, our discernment is that he and, he and, and, and Perry need to, need to plant a church, a Spanish-speaking church in Daytona. And if, if we can get a Spanish-speaking church established in Daytona, that can become a home base for them to do all these initiatives they want to do in Ecuador and Mexico and Venezuela and Cuba and all these, all these places, Spanish-speaking places, and there's so much potential there. And so pray that God will give them a venue in Daytona that they can effectively plant a Spanish-speaking church there as a base of operations. Very excited to be part of, part of their, their partnership. Next, this is the People's Church in Belarus. <laughs> um, Belarus is a neighbor to, to Russia and a neighbor to Ukraine. Um, and... Uh, Nikolai and his wife Svetlana. Nikolai is probably the the most prominent and effective pastor in the whole nation of Belarus. This building that you see in the background there, they built that building and moved into it about a year ago. We helped them with that. The way they built that building is they sent men from their congregation in an arrangement with a trucking company in Florida. And so every three or three or six months, they would send men over from that congregation and they would drive overland trucks. They would live minimally off the income they were making driving these trucks and send the rest of the money they were making back to build that church. Isn't that amazing? And we, and we helped them, help them with that. And Nikolai has a, has a vision to plant churches in Belarus, in Russia, in Ukraine, all over that region. And he is capable. He is he is a he is a razor sharp, very passionate leader. We're very impressed with him. And that that photo you see there—that's Robin Wood, our guy. He was in Belarus helping them dedicate this building at the time. So we're very excited about the future there. Can you feel the potential in some of these things? Next, is that all? That was all of them. Now that's not to that's not to mention the church planning we're doing in Central Asia, which we cannot talk in specifics because it's online and you know it's security reasons. But we have. We have teams of people in Central Asia planting churches and have had for many years. And so all of these things happening and God at work because of the strategy to plant churches. There, there, is, 
there, there, there is a scientific sociological threshold that, that smart people determine about the numbers of life-giving churches you need in a particular culture to see a Christward movement, like a move of God, a revival happen. And in the United States, we are at a, we are at a huge deficit of the number of churches we need, new churches we need, just to keep pace with the cultural decline that we're experiencing. We still need thousands of churches, net number of new churches planted in the United States every year in order to see Christ and his hope be pervasive enough for people in our culture to understand. And so we don't need just a few more churches. We need thousands of new churches. And Union Chapel, we are going to do our part to make a difference planting churches, and that's our mission. Here's the second thing we are doing and we're going to do, and that is we're going to teach the Bible. We, we have to introduce rigorous catechesis, teaching for all members, young and old, inquiring, established. We must reteach, double down on the historic faith to this generation, especially emerging generations, whom I've already described to you are cautious and leery of such things. And we must teach this emergent generation with a special eye to interacting with them about key objections and misunderstandings which are prevalent in our society. And so that's why next year we are going to work our way through the whole Bible called The Story. And we're going to take 31 weeks next year and teach every age level the story of the Bible, the narrative of the scripture. What we know is that the greatest desire that the average person, average person who knows Jesus, the average person, the greatest desire they have when you ask them is to understand the Bible better. And when you, when you also look at the culture and the demands and needs of the culture, you also conclude that the greatest need that people have is an understanding of the Bible and an understanding of the truth. And so here we have the merging of the greatest desire and the greatest need, an understanding of the Bible. And that's exactly what we're going to do all next year. We're going to double down with every age group. That's why, that's why we started our four, five, six ministry a couple of years ago. That's what all of this is about following these trends and understanding that we're not reaching the next generation. And we, so we've got to double our efforts to reach them and be as careful about it as we can. So we're going to teach the Bible. Now, here's the third thing we're going to do. We're going to evangelize. We've, we do it all the time. We're going to keep doing it. Evangelism must be at the heart of the church's life. Two weeks ago, I talked about an authentic church based on the New Testament model. We read from the book of Acts the tendencies and trends that an authentic local church has in the world. And two of those signs is that people are finding a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ in the context of that ministry. And they're being baptized in water, making, a, making a, an outward witness of their commitment to follow Jesus. This is called evangelism. This is sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that. The church in America has become like the famous frog in the pot of water that's slowly coming to a boil. And the church has slowly taken on the skepticism and doubts of the world regarding the power of Scripture, the centrality of Jesus Christ, and the message of salvation. Let me just remind you what the Scripture says about 
about, about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul said in Romans 1.16. Look on the screen. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And I just want to remind you that we are not ashamed of the gospel here at Union Chapel. We believe it is the power of God unto salvation. And let me be as clear as I can. There are not multiple paths to salvation. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. I'm not mad about that. I'm not vengeful about that. I'm not critical about that. I'm just stating the truth. I'm happy about it. There's good news. Jesus Christ really and truly and bodily and historically rose from the dead. And this is good news and good news for the world. Jesus Christ is actually building a community of the redeemed in this day. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it doesn't matter what comes. God is faithful. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the father except by me. That's helpful information. Let's assume that's true. If that's true, then we ought to preach it true. We ought to communicate it true. The Bible says that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And so we recognize Jesus and the sacrifice that he, he made as the way. And so we're going to follow the way and we're going to preach this salvation and evangelize as many people as we possibly can. That's our mission focus. Now, I have something I want to encourage you about because today I'm asking you to consider turning in a promise for the Faith Promise, all of our mission initiatives for next year. And you can do that with this card. There's a card close to you on one of the seats, or you can use uh, the QR code on the screen here uh, just as easy, or you can use the app or go online, and send, send it there, record it that way. We appreciate it so much. I do want to make an announcement, though, that's in keeping with all of this process that I've been describing Last August, just a few months ago, we were in a, an executive team meeting. This is like our elder board here at Union Chapel executive team. And we were looking at the, the financial reports, which we receive on a regular basis, of course. And over the last handful of years, we have been accumulating what is called surplus cash. Union Chapel has been as efficient as any organization. I think we get more bang for our buck than anybody you'll find. I've, I've just felt that way for a long, long time, and we're very careful about that. I live this way personally, and that's the way I lead here. We are very conservative. We, we are very efficient, and, and, I, and I, I know you appreciate the stewardship of that. So we came to a place where we realized that we had some surplus cash, and we've, we've always had a mortgage. When we built the original campus here, there were 14 acres, and it was a car dealership. The main parking lot, that was a car lot. It used to be McCoy Ford, some of you old enough to remember. Our 456 auditorium right now originally was the showroom of a Ford car dealership. Uh, we used it as our sanctuary for years. We called it the showroom of heaven. The, the first hallway, main hallway there where all the classrooms are, uh, that, was, that was a big service area with overhead doors and oil pits, hydraulic lifts in the floor. We were actually going to take one of the hydraulic lifts and put it under the pulpit. <laughs> but we thought that'd be tacky, so we, we decided not to do that. 
So we've phased this whole campus in. And so the first phase, we had a mortgage on that. We had to borrow a million and a half dollars or so. And then we built the children's wing, which is the second hall over there with a big lobby in the back and the big parking lot back there. It's a beautiful children's area. And, you know, we had to take a mortgage on that. And so we paid off that first mortgage, and then we're paying off mostly the second mortgage. And then we built this building. We bought a farm, added 30 acres, and bought a farm. And we built this building on that, and we had a mortgage for this. And so we've just steadily paid off the mortgage as we've gone along. And so we got to a place this past August, and someone said, how much do we still owe on our mortgage? You know, on this building, the last mortgage we had, and we found out it was at that that week, it was $1,008,000. That's what we still owed. Now, you never hear me talk about this, and I never talk about it. I never talk about it, ever. But today's special, so I need to mention it to you. And the reason I don't talk about it is because we're not in the building business. We're in the people business. And so we borrow a reasonable amount of money to do the next phase of whatever we needed on campus, and we did that responsibly, and knew we could pay it back, and that's what we did. And so we got to this last piece of the mortgage, which was $1,008,000. So then we asked the question, well, if we have some surplus cash, how much surplus cash do we have? And so we have to take, the county team has to go to work on this, and you have to take out all the faith promise, which is all restricted money because it's designated for a particular mission function, and so that's out, and so that's in a separate bucket over there, and then we have accounts payable, so we have outstanding bills we have to pay, and then we want to keep a little reserve, you know, an emergency fund uh, just for a rainy day. That's what prudent people do, and so we have that account, so we, we took all the things that, that we couldn't really justify using, and then we asked, well, how much cash is left after all of that? And the accounting team, with a smile, reported to us what we have left in surplus cash is $1,010,000. $1,010,000. So we said, well, the mortgage is $1,008,000, and we have $1,010,000 extra surplus cash. Hmm, what should we do? And so we paid off the mortgage. So this is the notification from our good friends at First Merchants Bank. Congratulations, your, your loan has been paid in full. Good news. How many of you uh, uh, listen to Dave Ramsey on his podcast or on his radio program once in a while? Dave Ramsey, is that ring a bell? Financial Peace University. Uh, he has every week, he has a, a couple usually or a single person come on there and they do a debt-free scream. Have you ever heard that? Where someone tells their story about how they got out of debt and then he has them count down, you know, three, two, one, we're debt-free, I'm debt-free. And it's a big hoot, and he makes a big fuss about it. You know, I thought maybe we ought to do a debt-free scream today. That would be kind of fun. Just so you know now, we have about 40 acres of land. We have just over 100,000 square feet of floor space that we have access to and usable if you've been in any part of our buildings, you know how well they have been furnished, how well they are kept, how diligent we are. All of this work that we've done on the exterior of the buildings this summer uh, has all been paid for with cash. We, we are completely debt-free. All of the projects that we've been doing have been paid for by cash. We owe 
nothing to anyone. We have a 100,000 square foot facility on 40 acres, completely uh, well-maintained and completely paid for. And this is to the glory of God. It is an amazing accomplishment. So thank you so much. So it goes like this, three, two, one, we're debt free. You ready? You need to scream it. If everybody's screaming, then it'll be, it'll be more fun. If only one person screams, then they'll, they'll feel awkward. So let's, don't leave them there. Don't leave them like, in that moment. You ready? Three, two, one, we're debt free. Yeah, that's great. All right. I'm so happy not to talk, have to talk about that anymore. It's behind us. It's wonderful. What does this mean to our mission focus? We have never, ever been in a better position to be mission focused than we are right now. You see the kinds of opportunities God is giving us. The potential that God has given us with open doors of opportunity, with these partnerships and relationships here and there, and the kind of work that we're doing in our own city here through agencies and other individuals is an amazing story of opportunity. And the whole idea is to simply make Jesus more famous and more followed, to lift up his name and to let the light shine and to not be ashamed of who he is and what he has done for our lives, but to boldly, confidently proclaim without flinching that Jesus is Lord and he is our hope, and he can give you the life and hope you need as well. Amen. So I hope you'll follow through on the faith promise. You can see the goals there. We talked about that last week a little bit. Use the QR code. That's the quickest way or can just fill this out. Beth and I always pray over this every year. I had a number. I told her this morning what the number was. She told me her number. Oh. I, don't, I guess I don't have any faith. I'm, I'm just small-minded, have no vision for these things. I don't know what my problem is. But if you walk by me and you, and you just have this, you just sense the spirit going, you should give him $10 or something like that because I'm going to need every penny I can scrape up this year to pay off the faith promise that my wife has already made in the first service. As a good friend of mine would say, holy Toledo. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do it. If I told you the number, you would think I was crazy. So talk to my wife, would you? So if you could reason with her, tell her to. Here's what I do know. If you come to a, a prayerful moment where you, where you hear a number that you think God's going to allow you to give to our mission bucket next year, and you feel good about it, and it brings you joy, and you have peace about it, and you get that warm, fuzzy feeling about it, probably means God had nothing whatsoever to do with it. <laughs> He's a big God, and he wants us to stretch with big faith to see his hand at work. Praise God. So let's pause and pray for just a moment. Lord, we thank you this morning for all of the opportunities we have. We thank you for all of these partners in so many places around the world. Thank you for the doors that you've opened. 
for the lives that have already been changed. We're just so humbled by it. We're amazed. And then, indeed, we're thankful to be part of it, that you've called us as your ambassadors, and we get to be part of something so significant. Thank you for that privilege. Now, Lord, I pray for all of us as we exercise our faith, trusting in you to provide for this mission budget for next year. Lord, help us to stay focused. Stay focused on the mission for Jesus' sake. And everybody said, amen. Would you stand with us?